This week on the Pro Wrestling Podcast, podcast. Sami Zayn does an incredible interview with Ariel Helwani, talking about the bloodline and having to prove himself worthy of the bloodline to Paul Heyman. The Bella Twins stir up some drama after their perceived lack of women's representation on Raw 30. The network finally gives in and allows Jay Briscoe to be honored on AEW and Mark Briscoe to wrestle. And a very rare, very intimate, personal, deep dive interview with Bray Wyatt. I'm your host, Seth Grimes, and this is the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Seth Grimes. Welcome. Come on in to another episode of the Pro Wrestling Podcast podcast. Another week for you here. I had to switch up my intro a little bit instead of saying, what the fuck is up, everybody? Because YouTube doesn't want you to say fuck anymore. Fuck. I already said fuck. I'm not monetized, so it doesn't matter yet. But did you hear they're switching up their shit? You can't swear in like the first seven seconds of your video anymore, which anybody should build the muster. I know I swear a lot. I got a I got a ridiculous potty mouth, and I apologize for that. Um, but I can, even I can muster not swearing in the first seven seconds of the video. But then they have this really vague like you can't swear too much throughout the video. I don't know exactly the way that they worded it or whatever, but they don't want you swearing overabundantly throughout the video either. And and they don't really say what they consider too much or overabundant. So. Uh, for a fellow like me that likes to swear a lot, that could end up being a problem when I do get monetized. And then they're going into your back catalog. So even though they just changed the rule today, you are in trouble for doing it last week or last year or two years ago. Fuck you. You can't do that anymore. Um, they're just cracking down, man. And gamers, gamers are pissed because they got... Uh, you know, like, you can't... Like, if you're playing GTA or something, like, YouTube's cracking down on, like... Uh, violent crime images and stuff. So if you're just running around, you rob some bitch in GTA and then you fucking shoot her in the face. Can't do that on YouTube. Apparently on YouTube, you cannot rob people and then shoot them in the face. I don't know why. I, to me, that's a that's an issue. But you know what? We're going to keep on keeping on bringing you the content you like. Um, I wanted to say at the top of the show here too, normally I do this at the end of every show, but some people don't stick around to the end. I really wanted to take the time to thank you guys. Uh, it just means the world that you guys watch. You know, Whether you watch just a little bit of the show, you know, the first couple clips, or you pick and choose a clip, or you're one of the people that watch all the way to the end. Either way, like, dude, I'm a small-level YouTuber, a small-level level podcaster, just trying to work my way up in the wrestling podcast world, in the YouTuber world. I'm small potatoes. And uh, the fact that anybody listens to me at all, you know, I'm just a fat, chubby, schlubby, scrubby wrestling fan living in my basement, yelling at a microphone, 
But yet, you guys come here and you listen and you watch, and I am forever grateful for that. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for supporting me. I hope you like today's show. I hope you stick around. I hope you watch the clips. Hopefully you stay till the end. If not, I appreciate your time. Um, but we'll just get into it. And, and before we do, I want to make sure, I uh, hope you guys are doing okay, too. I know we all had a rough week last week. It was a very hard week to get through, a lot of a lot of emotions going on. Everybody was uh, mourning the loss of Jay Briscoe, so uh, I hope you guys are hanging in there and you are on the recovery path wherever you're at with this. And uh, let's have a good show, man. Let's dive in because there's some crazy shit going on this week in the world of podcasts and shoot interviews, including our top story this week. Well, Seth Rollins certainly had a little bit to say about CM Punk this week. He was doing the WWE 2K23 media scrum presser fucking gimmick. I don't know what it was, but he was talking with Nick Hausman in a fucking cowboy hat for some reason. And Nick Hausman, a good personal friend of CM Punk, as you all know, Asked Seth Rollins about a couple potential free agents maybe coming back to WWE. And oh boy, did Seth not bite his tongue on this one. Check out this clip. I know you're a Midwest boy with ROH roots. We don't know what's going on with CM Punk, but you guys have had some barn burners in WWE. Would you like to see Phil Brooks uh, back in WWE? Oh, Philly Phil, stay away. Stay away, you cancer. Get away from me forever. Wow. Yeah, no, I don't like Phil. I don't like Phil. He's a jerk. Oh, did we just figure that out? Did we just figure that out? No, everybody in the room like is like, oh no, dude, did he say that? Yeah, no, he's a jerk. Come on, we figured it out over there. We knew it over here. I don't want him back. Go do something else. Bye bye, bye bye. See you later. Here's a spindrift and a muffin. There we go. That was an all-out joke. Oh, did he have that? He had the spindrift, didn't he? Yeah, the spindrift. Oh, and he was eating that. And he was the muffin. He was muffining. He was yeah. Eating the muffin. <laughs> Yeah, dude, he didn't hold back even a little bit, did he? This wasn't even like a tactful, like, oh, let me just, you know, play this political. No, this was, he was fucking brutal about CM Punk. Not a big fan. Not a fan. My God. I didn't even know they had heat like that. I'd never heard that Rollins had any potential beef with Punk. Matter of fact, Punk was the reason that Rollins was called up to the main roster. The Shield was his idea, and Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose and Chris Hero were the three guys that he wanted to bring up as the Shield. He handpicked Seth Rollins to be main roster. Not that Rollins would have never got to the main roster without Punk, but I just didn't know that there was heat there like that. Uh, but apparently, he had no bones about it. No uncertain terms. And Nick Hausman loved that, by the way. He loved that. He got a good pop out of that and a good sound bite out of that because that's absolutely newsworthy. Full disclosure here, I've already been, I'm done recording the show. I wrapped it up. And the first thing I do is I open fucking Facebook and I'm scrolling through and there's fucking, oh, Seth Rollins buries CM Punk. Jesus Christ, I just finished recording. So now I got to hop back in. Uh, turn my heat on too because it's winter. Hopefully you can't hear the heat buzzing in the background. This mic's pretty good about blocking out background stuff, but I usually turn the heat off and it doesn't fucking matter. I don't know why we're talking about that. This was 
this was probably the most this was the, the the most outright burial of CM Punk publicly by any wrestler I think I've ever heard. A lot of them say some bad things, but this was I mean maybe I, I guess guys have said worse like on shoot interviews or something, but Rollins is an active roster guy. And he's very adamant, stay the fuck away. And that's probably the whole roster. I don't think Punk's going to be, I don't think Punk's going to, I see even today, you know, as I record this day of the Royal Rumble, I see people talking about, oh, maybe uh, maybe Punk will be a surprise entrant in the room. Get over yourselves. Do you even know how contracts work? Do you even have any fucking idea? Did you, did you, did I miss the news that Punk got released from AEW? I mean, I, if so, I would have thought that that would have been like a top story somewhere along the way. Uh, maybe got buried. Maybe got got buried somewhere deep down. But speaking of buried, good lord, stay away, you cancer! God damn. You know what? I'm not a big fan of Seth Rollins either. I, he just ugh. I, I, there's so many guys on the WWE roster that just do absolutely nothing for me right now. And Rollins is one of the top of that list. I, he just, he's so grating to me. I don't know. He just rubs me the wrong way. Not a big Seth Rollins fan. I think he's kind of, kind of a douche in my opinion. Um, but that's just me. You're entitled to your, we're all entitled to opinions. Don't hate me. Cause I don't like Seth Rollins. You can like Seth Rollins enough for both of us. That's fine. But I do like this comment. I thought this was fun. And I'm a big CM Punk fan. I am. But, uh, you know, not as much since since the brawl out. You know, I'm starting to forgive him a little bit. But, you know, more people than not have come out and expressed how much Punk is a cancer. That they don't like Punk. That Punk's a horrible person. That they don't want him around. Uh, you know, and we just talked about this last week with Jade Cargill putting over Punk, praising Punk, singing his praises, and other guys too have done that. FTR, uh, Will Hobbs, um, Ricky Starks, a lot of you know other people are kind of vouching for Punk, but Seth made his voice heard, and Seth's a Seth's an important guy over in WWE, so I think. His opinion's gonna carry a lot of weight when you know if, punk, if the opportunity ever did come up for Punk to come to WWE, if a guy like Seth Rollins is first in line to say no, we don't want this fucking guy here, that's gonna be a problem. I think people are gonna listen to him, and I'm sure Becky would be right there by his side, another huge star that they're gonna listen to, and I'm sure you know the, Seth is close enough with Roman that he could probably get Roman, to, you know who. I, what I'm saying is I don't think Punk's going to end up in WWE, and this made it very fucking clear for anybody that was on the fence about it, by the way. Um, I still think he might end up back in AEW. I don't think we've seen the last of Punk. I could be wrong. Um, you know, there's no no plans on bringing him back anytime soon, but he hasn't been released. So I don't know that his final chapter has been written, but... God damn, I I I'm I'm kind of surprised. I don't I've never heard I'm shocked that Rollins went that hard on Punk. I really am. And I'd love to know what the heat is there. Like there has to be something major going on that caused him to be so so hard on Punk about that, right? Like that was more than just like, yeah, I don't know. I've always kind of thought he was a dick. 
this seemed a little bit personal. So I wonder what kind of dirt is there under the surface. But uh, anyway, I wanted to share that with you. Like I said, I already recorded the goddamn show. I was wrapping up, cleaning up. Um, but I had to jump back on because it's news, right? This is a newsworthy story that I think is going to grab a lot of attention. It's just kind of breaking now. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, get this shit edited up and get this out to you as quick as I can. Happy Royal Rumble. I hope you guys enjoy the Royal Rumble as I record this. It is tonight. As you watch this, it's been in the past. So I hope you enjoyed the Royal Rumble. And I uh, highly recommend you check out this clip. I did leave it in the description down below, a link to the full interview. It was a short little interview. It was only five minutes or so, just a couple quick questions on the red carpet, so to speak, for the twenty to 2K23. But, man, did Seth Rollins in his fancy-ass cowboy hat fucking lay in and bury punk. That's a burial. We got a very rare interview with Bray Wyatt this week as he sat down with Ryan Satin over at WWE on Fox for the Fox Network. This was a fantastic interview, dude. This I've never heard Bray Wyatt talk like this. Um, if he has done interviews like this, it was back in the day and uh, very, very rare. Uh, you know, he's kind of got that uh, elusive, mysterious character where he kind of stays out of the spotlight, much like The Undertaker would always do up until he finally started doing interviews and such. So this was a rare treat, um, uh, a fantastic interview. Ryan Satin sat down with Bray for about an hour and they got into, you know, the return and everything. There wasn't a lot about like why Bray was gone or Vince McMahon or anything like that, which was something that I wish they would have gotten into. I would really like to hear a lot of that, but, um, there were some fantastic gems in there. Um, one of the questions that was asked was what the Undertaker told Bray in the ring at uh, Raw 30. Now, I didn't do that for the clip this week because that's one that's making a lot of the news and it's kind of making its rounds. And the answer is really nothing. Bray Wyatt's not talking about it, but he said it was very special. But what he did talk about and what we're going to listen to in this clip right here is Bray Wyatt talking about the various personalities that have been in and around him lately over the last couple of years we got Bray Wyatt on record about Uncle Howdy uh Uncle Howdy's a really stupid name but uh apparently even though the character seems at least to me a little cheesy on the surface Bray tends to uh make it seem like there's much more to the story that we haven't quite seen yet and uh, along with that he touches on the fiend who also meant something much deeper than what The Fiend actually was, and even Alexa Bliss. So let's go ahead and take a listen to this clip, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Uh, so this story with you and Uncle Howdy, you know, with you, everything going on between you and Uncle Howdy, uh, it's appeared as though you were almost fighting him from bringing out a darker side of you. Would that be a fair assessment from people that are watching it? I, I honestly... I don't know. Like, there's things about me that people don't understand, right? And when they see all these chapters of myself and they kind of look at them as, oh, like split personalities or something like that. Have you ever met anyone with split personalities? 
you would see that it's not so cut and dry. It's not so simple. It's not like a movie, you know? And, you know, I suffer from things, diagnosis that I'm not going to share with people. And I like being the voice for people to see on a real basis instead of a cartoonish version. But Uncle Howdy and Bray and all these things, these are all real. They're based on moments and things that have really happened. So Uncle Howdy is, there's so much more to it than you think. It's not, it's not just so cut and dry, a spooky man in the background. There's more to it. There's complexities that you haven't got to see yet. There's things that, that I don't understand about it. And that's the beauty of it is it's, it's going to grow organically. But the story of it, I don't even think has been told yet. And, and what, if once you understand what it really is and where it came from in my childhood and who Howdy really is, it's it's kind of it's it's much deeper than you think it is than you than you would perceive it to be. Is there any connection between like Uncle Howdy, the Fiend, and the Man in the Woods story that you told way back when? So, dude, like like I said, man, all of these things, you know, uh, they're they're small tidbits of, of giant stories. Like where Howdy came from is a, is a very, and I don't mean this. I, I can't explain it because it is such a dark thing. It, where it came from is a very, very dark thing that happened in, in our life, in my life. And it's, you know, if it was shared, it, it would be almost too much, you know. But Man in the Woods is the same thing. It's kind of, uh, some of these are dreams, you know, things that I've seen that I could be, things that have happened in the past. But when I say something, I mean it, man. You know, like... I really mean it. And all of these things, there's so much more to them. And I, can't, I, I love sharing over time, but to give things away is just so boring. For me, the Hawaiian shirt, both Bray, who, who he was, he can't be without Brody to me. You know, so I, I, I can't be that without Brody. It's just not the same. It's disrespectful to my best friend. The Fiend died that day in Tampa, Florida, and WrestleMania to me. You know, and again, the Fiend is not just a, a goof in a mask like people think. That's that's just ridiculous. <laughs> to me, it was it's it's so much more. And once you see where all these things come from, you know, where how they sculpt me, how they molded me as a human being. But it, he died that day to me, and it can never be again. It's it's gone. So. I, again, I don't know how people will react to that, but in my head, it's gone forever. And Alexa, to me, is kind of like uh, the last happy piece of that, right? She was the she was the, the last shining thing in that. You know, his his last happy moment. You know, whether you you can look into that however you would, but it's it, it sucks, man. But it's that's the way it is. Very esoteric by Bray Wyatt, you know, he's uh, not giving us any kind of information on this at all, but yet it was really personal at the same time. You could tell that this does mean more to Bray than what meets the eye at this point, because at this point, this is like Kane and the Undertaker, the fucking dollar store version, right? You know, uh, this Uncle Howdy, who I don't care what anybody says, it's it's. Bo Dallas, you can tell by looking at it. Even when he smiles, and he's got the Bo Dallas smile. Bo's got a very, he's, 
It's all he did was fucking smile for three years. You know his smile. Look at the smile under the mask. It's Bo Dallas. So to me, it's a very, Mom, can we get Kane and Undertaker? No, we got Kane and Undertaker at home. That's what uh, Bray Wyatt is and uh, Uncle Howdy is to me. But I like to think that uh, what Bray said here could be true and that there is more to the story and more to be revealed. Bray's a really weird guy. He's a very emotional guy, a very sensitive guy. He's very deep and very dark. And though he could be blending in some of his character here and doing some character work, he did seem pretty honest. And it did really sound like it was coming from the heart here that he's pulling from some dark shit in his past. But he wouldn't elaborate on what. Same thing with The Fiend. You know, Fiend was something really personal to Bray. And he said that The Fiend is dead. The Fiend died that day that he died or whatever the fuck happened. He's gone. And what was that? Was that his dark depression? Were that the demons that he was carrying around with him at the time? Because we know Bray went through, uh, you know, really hard times around the time that he was fired. And, you know, Brody died and everything. Bray's on record about this. This is not new news, you know. Um, he's deals with mental health issues regularly. Was The Fiend a manifestation of the darker elements of his mental health issues? And and now that he's worked, said he's worked so hard to come back and put himself in a better mental position, is that why The Fiend is dead now and never coming back and why that's gone? And, and it was interesting, too, what he said about Alexa. Like, she's the most beautiful, I don't know if that was his exact words, but she was, like, the one beautiful thing that came out of that whole thing, you know, the one good thing. Not looks beautiful, though, Alexa Bliss is, I mean, come on, Oof. Right. Um, but <laughs> but she I mean, he thought that that was like the one good thing that came out of that was was Alexa Bliss. And, you know, he even went on to say that Ramblin' Rabbit has some meaning to him, you know, that there's something more personal. Each puppet is I think he, he flat out said each puppet's kind of a representation of a, of a piece of him, which we've all kind of figured out at this point. Anyway, Sam Roberts does a really good um, if you if you haven't really done any kind of deep dive into the puppets and that kind of stuff, there's some fun stuff on YouTube out there. But I would point you to Sam Roberts first. He kind of broke down the 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 whole uh, the meanings of the puppets and how they kind of relate to Bray, how they're all pieces of his character. And he even broke down the Ramblin' Rabbit, where he theorizes that Ramblin' Rabbit's kind of the way that Bray just kind of rambles on at times and talks and talks, but doesn't have a lot to say. And uh, Bray said particularly Ramblin' Rabbit was the one that he hates the most. Maybe that's why, because that was something that Vince would give him shit about for rambling too much or something. I don't know. Um, I'm just reading into shit, because, again, Bray was very vague, very uh, esoteric with everything that he said. But, uh, you know, he made very clear that all of these characters, they're not just for fun. You know, like, he, you know, he, he laughed, he scoffed. At the the thought that the fiend character was just some goof in a mask, that it was just oh, let's put you in a mask and try this for a little bit. Like the fiend was very personal to him, or at least that's what he's trying to get across here. Again, he could be working us a little bit. This could be a little bit of a gimmick, you know, a little bit of blending in the storyline with the real life. But uh, by all accounts, just listening to this, this sounded like a really 
open, heart-bearing, just fucking honest, brutally honest interview, even though he didn't give a lot of details on stuff. I felt like he opened up. I felt like he felt vulnerable a little bit. And he still has a sadness to him, you know. You can still tell he's just battling demons, man. He doesn't look like a happy guy, necessarily. Uh, There's some shit going on in that head. And somehow, some way, that shit is manifesting itself now out into the storylines of WWE. has been for a while now. He talked about um, that we're never getting the flowered shirt Bray back. I know that's something when we're waiting for the comeback of Bray Wyatt, a lot of people on the internet were like, let's go back to the original NXT version of him where he's just like the backwoods fucking, the dangerous backwoods guy, right? In the in the in the uh, Hawaiian shirt and that kind of stuff. Um, But he said that's dead too because he feels like that would be disrespectful to Brody, Brody Lee, which was his uh, best friend. And that he said he can just, he can't do that character without Brody. So that'll never come back. The Fiend's dead. The Fiend's never coming back. Um, You know, Alexa Bliss, she's still in the mix. They're doing something with her where she's, Still kind of leaning to her dark side. I'm wondering how all of this will play out. Now, as I record this, this is prior to the Royal Rumble. It's the Royal Rumble is tonight. I'm recording, as you can see by the daylight behind me, in the afternoon, Saturday before the Royal Rumble, as the podcast drops on Sunday. Maybe this clip will get out tonight. I don't know. I don't expect anybody to be watching my shit instead of the Royal Rumble, so I'll probably save all that for tomorrow. Um, so we could see some, some, something develop. I imagine we will in this pitch black match. Uh, I imagine uncle howdy showed up, show up. I think, like I said, this is dollar store Kane and undertaker. I think what they're leading to is the uncle howdy versus Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania feud, very Kane and undertaker esque back in 1998. Um, but I hope we get more reveal revealed. I hope we kind of. I hope the stuff that Bray said in this interview about the deeper meaning behind these characters, I hope it's not just left for Sam Roberts to speculate on his fucking YouTube channel. I hope that this is something that uh, we get to see play out over time and we get to learn more about. Um, I'm endlessly fascinated now. Before, I was a little bit kind of meh on it. But uh, if Bray Wyatt is to be believed and we want to go along for that ride with Bray, I think there's some deep shit that could definitely be uh, on its way out here. You know, Uncle Howdy to him is a real person. It's based on a real thing. It's rooted very much in reality, even though it's something that seems goofy on the surface. So let's all uh, let's all just watch and enjoy Take that ride, and uh, we'll see how it turns out. Sami Zayn sat down with Ariel Helwani on Ariel Helwani Meets, and they had a good almost hour-long conversation, mostly about the bloodline. This wasn't a get-to-know-Sami-Zayn thing or you know anything about his past or El Generico, nothing like that. This was the bloodline interview. And Ariel asked him all about the storyline from, you know, when it started to develop. We got the early, uh, we got some information on the early stages of it. How Sammy said that this was his idea, that he had been thinking about 
by this time last year. So by Royal Rumble of last year, he was already thinking, you know, he was becoming kind of chummy with Roman backstage and kind of already getting those gears going. They've been talking backstage while they hang out about how they might be able to work with each other on camera. And Sammy kind of started to develop this idea uh, to work with the bloodline, though nobody expected this thing to take off the way it did. This is, I think it's inarguable that this is the biggest storyline of 2022. Might end up being the biggest storyline of 2023 before it's all said and done. Um, but for the longest time, people were against Sami Zayn until he started to win people over. You know, it was kind of looked at, at least by a lot of people, that this was sort of like, why is this goofball in with this serious storyline, right? Sammy's a clown. He's, uh, but you know, he works with Knoxville in a fucking giant mousetrap match, you know what I mean? Sammy's a goofball, and the bloodline were dead serious, but it just fucking works. The way that they're doing it, it's fucking beautiful but it wasn't always that way and not everybody had that opinion i know rick flair even on his podcast was very outspoken multiple times about Sami Zayn. like ah, i just don't think it fits in with the bloodline other people have said that as well um interestingly enough according to Sami Zayn in this clip here who else in the bloodline might have been apprehensive about letting Sami Zayn in and adding a comedic element to this serious storyline. And as you can tell by the thumbnail, it's Paul Heyman. Check out this clip. Obviously, there was a big part of the storyline where, like, some of the members didn't want you in. and you. I know that's on TV, but was there any part of you that felt like you had to earn their trust just to be a part of it? Is that the kind of relationship you have with them, or did you already have this great relationship and, you know, I'm making something out of it no, you know, based off of what we saw on TV. I mean, if I'm being uh, brutally honest yeah. here, uh, maybe Heyman is the one I felt like I had to convince. Interesting. Why is that? Well, because he's, I think he's old school and Roman's his guy and Brock was his guy. And he, the top, he is very familiar with the top of the card. Mm -hmm. And for him to be able to buy into me being a part of the act that's at the top of the card... I didn't want him to like, you know, he, I don't want him to be one of those guys that's like grabbing Roman and going like, look, can't work with him. He just did this stuff with Knoxville or right, whatever. Right. So like, I know Roman knows I'm, I'm pretty good. That's why he said what he said in that interview. Right. View. I know the Usos think I'm pretty good. And I think they're, all these guys are great. There's like a mutual respect. They were peers mm -hmm. with Heyman. It's a bit more like, you know, he's more strategic about things, things that I wouldn't think of. Or he looks at the business in different ways, in ways that sometimes I wouldn't look at. You know what I mean? So if there was anyone that I thought wouldn't be on board that would have to like get convinced, I thought maybe it would be Heyman. Do you feel that still? Not as far as convincing, but as far as like him viewing things differently for me, sure. You think you've won him over? Uh, I, I think I've won the fans over which is what he cares about. <laughs> you know what I mean? That one surprised me. It really did. I don't, uh, you know, I would have thought Paul Heyman strikes me as a guy that gets it. You know, he has a very solid understanding of everything in the wrestling business. To this day, he's one of the brightest minds you'll ever find in the business. Give me a booking team with Paul Heyman and Jim Cornette on it and fucking, ah, you know what I mean? It's fucking wonderful. The brain on this guy. 
So it really surprised me that he was apprehensive about letting Sami Zayn get involved with the bloodline. That Sami had to kind of prove himself to Heyman. Now maybe it's because Sami Zayn tends to rub a lot of people the wrong way backstage. Even in this interview, like this is what you see is what you get with Sami Zayn. He's not playing a character. Sure, he's over the top to a certain extent. You know what I mean? Of course, everybody's dialed up. To 11, right? That's that's what you do. You just, you're yourself cranked up is where you get over the most. And that's pretty much exactly where Sami Zayn's at. He's a bit, uh, he, he's like, he can be like nails on a chalkboard sometimes, you know? Uh, good in small doses, maybe. But, and that's just me, but I've heard a lot of other people say that too. I, and I've heard Sammy say it. You know, he knows it. He's self aware at the very least. Um, but it, this was just a very revealing interview about the bloodline in general and that Paul Heyman wasn't it took a while for Heyman to warm up to the fact that, that to let Sammy get so close and involved with this. And another interesting thing about it is Sammy talked about like the politics at the main event is something different. You know, he's, he feels he's, he made his exact phrase was something to the effect of I felt like I got called up to the main roster all over again. Because you get into the WWE system and you learn the politics. I'm sure at NXT level there probably wasn't much. Once you get called up to the main roster, especially under Vince, oh boy, is it a different game. And you got to try to navigate that fucking world. Not going to be easy for you. And obviously Sammy's not, you know, he's, like I said, he rubs a lot of people the wrong way. He's very outspoken. He talks a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, he's sort of obnoxious, but it comes from passion. You know, he even said in this interview, he's like, yeah, I, I mean, I talk over people all the time and like, he gets it. He's self-aware. I'm not making this shit up or just pulling it out of my ass. Cause I don't like him. I like Sami Zayn a lot. Uh, I think he's brilliant. I think this is the greatest storyline I've seen in a long, long time. You know, I think last year, 2021, was MJF and Punk. That was a fantastic storyline, but this just blows that shit out of the water. This is so good. Um, but I can absolutely see why the idea of adding a comedic element, this guy that just got done wrestling Johnny Knoxville in, in a giant mouse trap and fucking doing the whole jackass shtick with everybody, you know, everybody's slipping on banana peels and just it's comedic. It's clown shoes. Uh, but Sammy has made this storyline beautiful and the way that they've dragged it out and let it play out. That's another thing Sammy said in this interview. Highly recommend you watch the whole thing. I have it linked down in the description below is, you know, Sammy said that uh, Triple H is just kind of letting it breathe, you know, letting it, it goes day to day. And uh, he hasn't revealed anything as far as how the storyline is going to play out. Ariel did ask, you know, Ariel was like, I, I think it's almost getting to the point where the fans will revolt if you don't win the Royal Rumble. Sammy's like, I, I don't think that's the case. I don't either. I think that the Rumble belongs to Cody, and I think whatever they're doing with Sammy in in the Bloodline doesn't lead to Sammy versus Roman at the main event of WrestleMania. I just don't see it. I see it maybe more as Kevin Owens and Sammy against the Usos, perhaps, um, or maybe if there's a pay per view between the Rumble and Mania, I could see Sammy getting a title shot there. And then going to Mania to do the tag title match with the Usos. Um, but, you know, Sammy was very, he's kind of cocky here. He's like, you know, if, if that was the storyline, I could do it. Yeah. 
because Ariel had asked him, you know, can you be the face of the company? And Sammy was like, yeah, absolutely. I could probably do it in my sleep. But he's also self-aware enough to know not for the long term that WWE has a very specific type, you know, and that Sammy just physically does not fit that mold as your long-term world champion. But, you know, you look back in the past, look at Mick Foley when he won the title. You can swap the title to a guy that is not your poster child for a little bit, for the benefit of a storyline. Switch it over to Sammy, has a run with it for a month or two, and then drops it again to somebody else. You know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with doing that. So I could absolutely see that happening. I don't see it happening before Mania. I think at this point, if The Rock's not going to be there, I think the inevitable endpoint is Cody Rhodes, Roman Reigns, Cody dethrones Roman and the Cody Rhodes era begins. Uh, we got two belts, though, so maybe Cody only gets a shot at one and Roman continues to hold the other. Who knows? I have no fucking idea how any of this plays out, but that's the fun of it. I'm along for the ride. I like this long-term storytelling. We didn't get this under Vince. This is Triple H shit. And, you know, some people, I, I see some people complaining online, you know, more for the Bray Wyatt one. But I saw it for the Bloodline, too, about how long this is going on and stuff. And it's like, bro, long-term storytelling. Don't don't have TikTok brain, you know. If you ever watch a soap opera, their storylines develop like they're daily. They're daily shows. Their storylines barely move they're snail's pace like hardly anything happens in any episode then you get a big cliffhanger on the friday to have to come back and watch it monday where nothing happens again until friday so um just sit back and enjoy the ride but this was a fantastic interview with Sami Zayn. very revealing i love that it was very focused on the bloodline and we got to hear a lot of behind the scenes stuff sammy was very candid he was open he wasn't kayfabe and brother brother you know, he was very, he didn't reveal just everything. He didn't tell you where it's going or anything like that, but he was very candid, you know, having to earn the approval of Paul Heyman and how, you know, how everything came about and his relationship with Roman and a lot of really good shit there. So highly recommend you go check it out and uh, let me know your thoughts in the comments and I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next. Well, look who finally came around and pulled their heads out of their asses and finally allowed the Briscoes to be given representation on national TV. Oh. This after a great deal of outrage from the wrestling fans. I did cover this last week. The network not allowing post-mortem, even after the man died tragically. It's one thing not to allow the man on TV while he's alive, but after he dies in a tragic accident, you still refuse. The wrestling fans revolted. They were coming for the network's head. I played a clip from Jim Cornette last week. Jim Cornette was ready to fucking, oh, was he full of piss and vinegar. We were all emotional last week. But it appears Warner Brothers Discovery has heard us loud and clear uh, because they did inevitably lift their ban on the Briscoes. It was also reported this week, Meltzer kind of added, that it wasn't just the homophobic tweet, but it was also that they wore you know, the fucking rebel flag from time to time, the Confederate flag. Uh, I understand this, but... You know, the man died. So I'm glad that whatever happened behind the scenes, they were able to pull this together. And by all accounts, this was Tony Khan's doing. 
Tony Khan had pushed and pushed and pushed. This is what everybody's saying. Tony Khan went out of his way. He just wouldn't let it go. This was a hill that Tony Khan was going to die on. And I respect the fuck out of that. And though Tony Khan didn't quite go into detail about the situation, here's a clip of Tony Khan talking about the Briscoes now being able to be on national TV. Uh, first and foremost, Tony, thank you, you know, for somebody uh, who's a fan and for somebody who's part of this great community, the pro wrestling community, um, everything that you've done for the Briscoe family, uh, what you were able to do last week and what you're doing tonight, um, what would have been Jay Briscoe's 39th birthday. I, I want to be the first to thank you uh, so much for what you're doing for that family and the tribute that you're going to give to the life and career of Jay Briscoe tonight with his brother and Jay Lethal in the ring together. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it, Dave. But uh, honestly, it's the least I could do. And I'm just happy to be able to give a platform uh, to Mark Briscoe and Jay Lethal. They both came and requested this match. And it's something special that we can do as a company and as people who care about Jay Briscoe to come together and celebrate his 39th birthday and his life and his legacy. And it's going to be a great match and it's going to be a great night tonight, AEW Dynamite on TBS uh, with Mark Briscoe and Jay Lethal going one-on-one to honor the life and legacy of Jay Briscoe on his 39th birthday. This is one of those things where you have to give so much respect to Tony Khan. And I've seen a lot of stupid comments out there, too. People are like, oh, I don't believe anything Tony says. Yeah, right. He didn't put... Shut the fuck up, dude. By all accounts, Tony Khan went to bat with the network on this. And I'm sure the network heard the fans on Twitter as well. Because I wasn't the only one. Cornette wasn't the only one, bitch. And this was a big, big thing. And uh, apparently this did reach the higher-ups, and we got to see Mark Briscoe on AEW. What an emotional match, too. It was fantastic. Mark seemed to be holding up the rest of the locker room. He was the one supporting, you know, like, Jay fucking uh, Jay Lethal in the ring. Like, Mark was the supportive one. Um, this was This was just incredible. Uh, in fact, Mark had some comments about this... Uh, about his brother's passing after this match. Check out this clip. Y'all already know family is beyond, been beyond important to me, my life. 23 years, me and my brother been riding the roads, making towns, hitting different countries, you know what I mean? And ain't no way that I've been wanting to do this for this long if I ain't had my boy with me the whole time. But now I'm trying to carry on for him. You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying family is beyond, beyond. This life is temporary. My brother ain't here with me. I I brought my my beautiful wife with me, but uh, my brother ain't here with me as he normally has been, normally would be. But he's still with me right here, and he ain't gone. If I thought he was gone, then I wouldn't be no good. I know he ain't gone. I know he just moved on to the next higher level of existence. So you know what I mean? That's what keeps me pushing forward. Very uplifting, dude. Very motivating. He's got his head on right. You know, he's got his head in the right place with this. Jay's not gone. 
He says he feels him here still. He's just on the next plane of existence. And if you're a spiritual person and you believe in that, whatever religion or non-religion, if you have any kind of spirituality, you believe that there is another plane of existence beyond this point. So uh, it's great to hear that Mark's thinking of it like that. Man, I got to tell you, when he was announced, like, I, I was fine. You know, I was all over it and stuff. Last week was a tough week, but, like, emotional week. You know, I'm a sensitive guy. But, um... You know, when Mark came out and, and Bobby Cruz, it was so so weird, too. What broke me was Bobby Cruz announcing co-tag team champion, uh, co-holder of the tag team championships. And, I, and that just that. And then Jay uh, or Mark coming out with both belts. I cried like a bitch all over again, you know. Uh, so very emotional. It was a nice little tribute. I even seen stupid fans online like, oh, you called that a tribute? Dude, they did a three-hour tribute show the week before. They're not going to usher everybody out to fucking do their promos all over again and everything like that. You know, they, they honored Jay by having Mark wrestle in the main event, having a fucking kick-ass match with Jay Lethal. And then the you know the hugs at the end and everything that was that was enough that that was fine along with the three hour um, tribute video which I have not watched all of yet but I highly recommend you seek that out as well and uh, I'm glad the network turned around on this uh, apparently the the head of the uh, whatever you know the the content for these networks uh, you know the head chief honcho in charge that Tony Khan has to answer to is a woman by the name of Kathleen Finch. And apparently she got the message and I don't encourage anybody to be too hard on her. Cause I did just recently read an article with her as well, where she seems to be a pretty strong ally of AEW. In fact, she had read in a story this week, she's the chairman and chief content officer for Warner brothers discovery. That's chief content officer. So she's a head honcho. And uh, she spoke with Deadline about AEW and Dana White's Power Slap. Uh, Power Slap debuted to pretty shitty numbers, so she had kind of explained that it's just an experiment, that they're just trying to see, you know, they're trying to appease their male audience that they're bringing in for AEW, essentially. So they feel like there's crossover there with the Power Slap, even though I don't give a fuck about it. So um, that's kind of the idea there, though I've heard Power Slap did much better in the ratings this week. Um, but she had praise for AEW. She had said, we really play in the sports space. One of the things that we're doing around sports is creating shoulder programming to hold on to those fans. AEW pulls in huge numbers. So we are working with the wrestling team to figure out what new kind of content can we build that's not in a wrestling ring. And she went on to say, this may surprise you to know that I wasn't a wrestling fan before the job, duh. I know it seems, I know I seem like a wrestling fan, I don't know about that, uh, but I'm not. I think maybe she was being jokey there, uh, being a little lighthearted. But I did have to learn a lot about the audience, a lot of families that watch wrestling. I was very surprised to learn this. I have a huge respect for the audience. AEW Wrestling airs on two of our networks, TNT and TBS. On both nights, it kills. Finding something that speaks to that audience, that would be gold. So Kathleen Finch, she's on board with AEW, so don't go and fucking scare her away. You know, she heard she heard you guys loud and clear. 
Mark and Jay Briscoe are allowed to be represented on national TV now. Thank fucking God. And she seems to be an ally for us, for us wrestling fans, for AEW. She likes it. She has no interest in getting rid of it. She likes the numbers that it brings in. What they're actually trying to do by the sound of that is to build content around AEW now. Instead of saying, oh, AEW doesn't fit here, so let's get rid of that. Like a lot of you fucking internet marks still are convinced is going to happen because, ooh, shakeups at the network. Eh. Uh, no. They love AEW. They want to keep AEW. They want to find other things that AEW fans might want to watch. I think they should continue doing the reality show route myself. Total Divas was a huge hit. Um, despite, you know, a lot of you fellas probably didn't like it or whatever. But, you, I mean, ask anybody. <laughs> Total Divas and Total Bellas were really huge shows. There's people that know wrestlers and wrestling from that and not actual wrestling. So, you know, they were doing that Cody Rhodes gimmick. They had a show for him. Find a way to do, like, some sort of backstage, do your own version of a wrestling reality show behind the scenes type thing. I think that would be a really good uh, coup for uh, TNT to pick up or TBS, you know, to build around Dynamite. And that would benefit AEW, too, as well. Um, but, you know, just to kind of wrap all this together, it's just a big kind of all-inclusive network talk and Briscoe's talk wrap up all in the same kind of clip here. So been all over the place, but really, like, I think at the end of the day, this is a win. And I think the wrestling fans came out in support of the Briscoes in mass numbers. The network heard you. I don't think it was just Tony Khan, you know, pushing and pushing. I really think they heard their audience on Twitter. And uh, they know how vocal we can be and how uh, enthusiastic we are. And that's what they want. They want. I've said this from the very beginning. It was almost a year ago now that, you know, Warner Brothers merged with Discovery. And it was like, oh, AEW's in trouble. And no, because I heard an interview with the Zane um, Z- Zaslov, David Zaslov, Zane. David Zaslov saying that he wanted the fandoms. He wanted to build around fandoms, and and AEW certainly has a fandom, and that's where we're at right now. They're going to get a nice big fat TV contract and keep things going, and the Briscoes will be able to be mentioned on national TV, and it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. So thank all of you guys for turning out. If you said anything on Twitter or emailed anybody or fucking prayed or just yelled at the clouds, whatever you did, Thank you guys for participating in that because I think we're in a better place now because of it. And it's good to know that the network has some love for AEW and uh, we will continue to see some great shit. The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, was on Raw 30 this week and uh, got to walk his daughter down that aisle, styling and profiling. Announce her as the greatest women's champion of all time. Perhaps. Who knows? It's debatable. She's certainly one of. She's up there. Um, But Flair was on his podcast to be the man this week, talking all about his experience at Raw 30. And it sounded pretty life-changing to him. It was a very uh, eye-opening experience for him. He had a lot of praise for it. It made him uh, feel special again, made him feel wanted again, he said. And he was able to mend some fences there. There was uh, Triple H. There were some rumors that him and Triple H weren't really getting along all that great. 
and that was kind of backed up by comments that Flair had made before. At one point, I heard him say that he regretted giving Triple H the uh, old NWA world title that he gave him. Um, sad, man. It's sad, you know, the bitter Ric Flair. But I think he uh, was able to get a lot of that out of his system this week, and that's what I fucking love to hear. He was able to make peace with Triple H and with Becky Lynch. Uh, they were beefing over this whole the man thing. The man. She calls herself the man. Pfft, I'm the man. This is coming from a guy who calls himself the nature boy. After Buddy Rogers did it, uh, you know, for how many years. Um, and said he was fine with Buddy Landell calling himself the nature boy too. So why does he got a beef over the man with fucking a woman <laughs> of all things? I'll never know. You know, I just kind of chalk it up to Flair being in a bad place, but apparently he's working on it, folks, and he's getting himself in a better spot. Check out this clip. Ric Flair talking with Conrad on To Be The Man about patching things up with Becky Lynch. It started out with me and Hunter talking for about an hour, which is a private discussion, but resolving a lot of issues that have been lingering for a couple of years. And then I apologized to Becky Lynch. Really? Yep. Wow. I walked up to her and said, may I speak with you for a minute? And I just said, I'm sorry. Um, that's how we got to where it is. I went over and shook Seth Rollins' hands and I said, I'm gonna apologize to your wife. And um, I've just decided that, it, it, you know, it, it all comes with a documentary Sometimes you get so wrapped up in things yeah. that you just forget and you say it so many times for so many years. And actually the the, the man trade that trade the whole thing was decided with someone besides she and I. Right. So then you go to war over it. Because it wasn't that. It was, it's not them that as much as the money that was involved in it, which the company, you know, reaps the, the better part of anyway. Um and then I saw her with her child. I thought, God, you know, this will be Ashley someday. And it's me now with Morgan. I mean, it's just, it's not worth it. And right. I, 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 I'm, I am not the man anymore. The man is whoever the people think is. This is really good to hear. I actually love this because that's one of the, like, I want to love Ric Flair. I don't hate the guy, you know, I'm a, He's one of the biggest icons professional wrestling has ever had. You know what I mean? And I know he's an emotional guy and he's a sensitive guy. But over the last few years, since his uh, since he kicked out at two and three quarters from dying there, I feel like he's been pretty bitter and he's been carrying around a lot of resentment with him. And it comes out when he talks. About, I just covered maybe a month or so ago. Um he was going hard on Jim Ross just randomly out of nowhere. And in that same one, he was going hard on Chris Jericho. He's going hard on a lot of different people a lot lately. Becky Lynch has been one of them, too. He scoffs at her, you know. He he, he was really upset over the man thing. And, you know, they even went as far as, you know, Becky, you know, switched to big-time backs for a while. But now she's back to being the man. You know, I think big-time backs was her heel character. Similar to what Seth Rollins is doing, the extravagant, over-the-top, uh, just obnoxious heel type. But, uh, you know, Becky is the man. That's that's her character, and I think that's what it needs to be. 
And I never understood it, like, other than just being flat-out bitter, especially, like I said before the clip, for a guy that calls himself the nature boy, how are you going to get mad when somebody else borrows your name? And it's not some other dude. Uh, I mean, Flair, but nature boy Buddy Rogers wore a fucking robe. You know what I mean? It wasn't as extravagant as Ric Flair's, but Ric Flair just stole the entire gimmick from Buddy Rogers and updated it for a modern, you know, at the time, a modern era. But for him to just now be pissed that somebody else, I mean, Flair hasn't been an active wrestler for fucking years since the 2000s, since the early 2000s was the last time that he was any kind of relevant on, on national TV. And he was way past his prime at that point. You know, he, he was the man in the 80s. Uh, and it's Becky Lynch. It's a female. It's a different gimmick. It's a different character. Fuck off. And, and you know, Flair kind of attributed it to money. He said it was kind of a money thing. Um, who knows, you know. Uh, I don't know that he's making money off of the man. He's got a podcast called To Be The Man. But he's the, he's Ric Flair. Ric Flair drip. Nature boy. Woo. Woo wings. You know what I mean? He's got, he's got his brand, dude. There's nothing that he's branding the man. That's that's uh, that's not a thing that he uses other than he calls himself, you know, to be the man, you got to beat the man. He doesn't even say, I'm the man. You know, it's to be the man. You got to beat the man. Um, so the whole thing was silly to me, in my opinion, but I'm glad that Rick found it within himself to forgive, to let it go. And, and it sounds like, you know, I guess he didn't say much about Seth or Becky as far as if he felt like they forgave him. He just basically said that he may, you know, apologize to them, made peace and he's letting it go uh, for now. Anyway, this is Rick Flair and he's a pretty. He's pretty, uh, you know, a pretty bitter guy at times. So I wouldn't put it past him to complain about it again somewhere along the way when he's got a hair up his ass, having a bad day. But uh, I would like to hope that all of this is kind of behind him now and, and that they can all be friends and get along. And everybody love everybody. Stop fighting, especially over something so fucking stupid. The man. Um Becky should have went. <laughs> if I was Becky, I would have started wearing fucking robes, calling myself the Nature Boy Becky Lynch. That would have been funny. You know, you're gonna be a pissy about it. I'm gonna give you something to be pissy about, motherfucker. So I, I just, I'd never even seen him as the same thing. Becky calling herself the man. I never once, even from day one, go, oh, that's that's Ric Flair's thing. It's two completely opposite things, but I'm just kind of ranting here at this point. All is well that ends well, and according to Ric Flair on To Be The Man, all has ended well. And so I'm going to go ahead and end this well and move on to the next. Woo! Yeah! L.A. Night was on Insight with Chris Van Vliet this week. I love me some L.A. Night. I am fastly becoming an L.A. Night mark, dude. Uh, it's taken a little while to grow on me, you know. Uh, I've been following them since NXT on and off. I haven't been the most, uh, you know, diehard WWE fan over the last few years. I've been just kind of dipping my toe in. And, man, L.A. Night just continues to win me over. Every time I see him, this motherfucker has everything it takes 
to be a top guy. What a fucking star. He's got a big high-profile match tonight as I record this. I record this Saturday afternoon prior to the Royal Rumble. So by the time you're listening to this, you would have seen his pitch black match which nobody seems to have a fucking clue what it is. Bray Wyatt and his interview with Ryan Satin this week, and now uh, L.A. Knight with Chris Van Vliet. Nobody knows what a pitch black match is, but uh, what a fantastic interview. Let's go ahead and check out a clip here of uh, L.A. Knight talking about what it was like to share the ring with The Undertaker. What was it like being in the ring with the man himself, being in the ring with The Undertaker? Well, I'll tell you what. He was about this close to getting slapped right in the mouth, uh, but I decided to spare him. But, uh, yeah, I'll tell you the truth. Um, It's funny because you always hear the cliche uh, when you're standing in that ring and that bell tolls, you know, it's chills. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. That some bitch hit. It was chills. Uh, it was it was pretty wild. Uh, but at the same time, to uh, be standing there and doing my thing, and to be uh, very recognized, that audience was right on top of everything I had to say, even with the Undertaker in the ring. So I mean that that's that's a big feather in my cap, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and at the same time, uh, you know, looking at a guy who was undoubtedly a legend, Hall of Famer, um, crazy crazy night leading into this Royal Rumble. Well, and I think a lot of people might not know the, you know, the the through line you guys have here. Both of you. Paul yeah, Paul Bear. Both of you managed by Paul Bear. Let me talk to you. LA Knight's the shit. I fuck I'm I'm all in on LA Knight. And I think I think everybody else is too. I went in the comments under the the this interview with Van Vliet, read all the comments. There was not a bad word to be said about LA Knight. Everybody's on the LA Knight train. Uh, they talked about in the interview too about uh, LA Knight's theme song or whatever, and that he said he kind of he composed his original theme song prior to WWE, so he wanted something like that. So I went and I jumped over and was listening to his uh, different entrance musics, and even down in the comments there, people fucking love LA Knight unanimously. There's not a bad word to be said about this man. He is on a fucking path to greatness i hope he gets his chance he's a bit older uh apparently in this interview with van vliet he's said he's a 20 year vet actually van vliet said it and knight's like hey come on now i'm a rookie i've only been here for two or three years why why you gotta why you gotta blow my spot like that i'm not that old you're old i'm not old you're old um, but God damn, what an interview with L.A. Knight. He, he weaves so seamlessly between character and real life, you know, like he'll talk to you like even with, in this clip with The Undertaker, right? Like, well, let me tell you, he's lucky I didn't smack him in the fucking face. No, but really, you know, it was an honor. to share. But he was doing that throughout the interview, you know, he was very good at like he's he's good at being L.A. Knight even when he's just out of character. He still sprinkles that LA nightness into it. Uh, he buried the uh, Max Dupree pretty quick. Uh, he's like, who? What? What are you talking about, Max Dupree? I don't know what that is. Um, Van Vliet was kind of praising him for being able to make things work, uh, but, but he made no bones about it that he doesn't want anything to do with Max Dupree ever again. One kind of wants to forget that the whole thing happened, but 
God damn, L.A. Knight, like, he just kind of crept up on me. Like, I've been watching him, I've been seeing him, but, like, he's just organically getting over. The crowd's starting to chant along with him, and he's got his catchphrases, and he's so good on the mic. He's so charismatic. He holds himself like he belongs there in the ring. Like, he was not out of place even a little bit sharing a ring with The Undertaker, even though it was the American badass Undertaker, and it was... I mean, you don't put The Undertaker in the ring with a fucking backwards, fucking uh, uh, adjustable cap, you know, a fucking snapback cap. It's fucking weird, you know what I mean? Like, at least get a fit, rock a fitted if you're going to wear a backwards hat, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but, no, it's just, it's not, it's a bad look for The Undertaker, but L.A. Knight held the ring with The Undertaker like a goddamn pro. He's the man. He's got the look. He's jacked, dude. He's fucking... He's got the physical physique. He can work in the ring. He can talk like a motherfucker. He's witty. He's smart. He's a fantastic heel, and I think it's inevitable he's going to work his way up to being a babyface. I think it's not going to be long after WrestleMania that uh, LA Knight's a babyface and that he's one of the biggest stars in the company. I think 2023 is LA Knight's year. It's Cody Rhodes' year. I think it's going to be the year of Cody Rhodes, but I think it's also going to be a a breakout year for L.A. Knight. And I think uh, we'll see him hold some intercontinental gold, perhaps, or maybe a U.S. title. Another fun thing, too, is uh, he had said that his most uh, his proudest accomplishment was winning the million dollar title. And he had uh, in the video you've seen there, he had the titles kind of that he had won over his career in frames behind him on the wall. And, and just looking at that, and I know it's a little off topic here, but just looking at that was like, it occurred to me, and he said it, you know, but it occurred to me even before he said it that, man, like, you see all these people with all the belts that they won in the background, you know, a lot of wrestlers will do that, you know. Um, I'm a belt mark, so I would certainly do that if I was a wrestler too, you know. They frame the championships that they've won over their career and uh, not – Many people can say that they've won that million dollar title. That's a fucking, that's rarefied air. It's been what? Ted DiBiase, Virgil, Steve Austin, LA Knight, and fucking uh, uh, the hillbilly there, and fucking uh, Trevor Lee. So it's, it's, uh, Rarefied air, man. Rarefied air for that million. I think I'm missing somebody. That's what I'm trying to think of who else might have had that title. But, uh, dude, what an accomplishment, hey? To actually physically win the million-dollar title and have that in your trophy case. My God, that's so fun. That's so fun. I love love the million-dollar title. It's still the most beautiful title. I mean, not compared to, like, you know, I'm a big gold and winged eagle fan. But, God, that belt's sexy as well. Uh, but I digress. You know, back to L.A. Knight. Star in the making. I won't I won't uh, drag this out here, but star in the making. You know, very cool that he got to share the ring with The Undertaker. Those are the things that you do uh, with legends, you know. You, you utilize your legends to give the rub to the next generation. And, I mean, I don't give a fuck who you are. If you're the guy in the ring and you are cutting a promo and you are interrupted by the goddamn gong... That is a special moment. And as L.A. Knight said, he was legit, gave him the, the creepies. You know, he said that's not just a cliche thing, you know, that that's actually a thing. But 
I mean, just imagine how special that is. You know what I mean? Uh, as a young guy, like you get the nod to, yeah, you're going to do a segment with the undertaker. Obviously they, uh, triple H sees something in LA night. Hopefully Vince doesn't get his dirty paws all over everything. Cause it didn't seem like he saw much in LA night, but I, I just see megastar potential on this guy. I don't know if he's like face of the company megastar, you know, I think that might be like your Romans and your Cody's and that kind of thing. But L.A. Knight's not far behind as a very strong main event potential. Uh, I'll say it. You know, he far, I just fucking love the guy. Can't get enough of him. Yeah. But you let me know what you think down below. Let me know. What do you think of L.A. Knight? Are you one of those rare people that don't like L.A. Knight? Do you, are you not feeling him? Or are you like everybody else and their mom? Every comment I've ever read on this guy that he's just a fucking star. Just a star waiting to break out. And 2023 is going to be his time. John Morrison shoots on Logan Paul this week on the Insight podcast with Chris Van Vliet. We, we double dipped on the Chris Van Vliet clips this week with the uh, other clip from L.A. Night. This was not one that I wanted to cover. I don't like John Morrison. Uh, I know a lot of people do. I know a lot of people are very high on John Morrison. This will be a controversial take. I don't give a fuck. It's my show. I don't like John Morrison. He's got more go away heat with me than Jeff Jarrett does. You know, if Jeff Jarrett is is here, you know, John Morrison is like way down here. You know what I mean? Like, I don't give a fuck about I I'm not a fan, but uh so I was gonna skip this interview. Didn't care, don't care what he has to say. But apparently he news had spread that he went a little hard on Logan Paul. So that kind of piqued my curiosity and I had to do my job as a podcast journalist. You know, that's what I do is I bring you the newsworthy clips of the week. And uh, certainly if John Morrison's out there shooting on Logan Paul, that it has to be newsworthy. So I was ready to listen to this and be all outraged about John Morrison taking shots at Logan Paul. But that wasn't quite how it ended up. I have a bit more of a nuanced take, and we'll get to that after this clip. What do you think of Logan Paul, speaking of celebrities that are in WWE? Um, it's three matches in as we sit here right now. Here's what I think of Logan Paul. Man, remember when he had that match and he said he completely blew out his knee? All three ligaments, his yeah. ACL, PCL, MCL, and then... Come to find out, like, he just kind of had a sore knee. Oh, man, poor guy. I feel like he's had three matches. Um, he's acting like, and a lot of people are acting like, he's God's gift. And if he wanted to have, I've had close to 4,000 matches. And I've torn both knees for real, like no MCL, partially torn, scope, 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 partial ACL. Um, if he wants to stay in the business and, and do it for real, why doesn't he talk about wrestling then? Because right now I think he's getting a lot of help from the best minds in the business and pretending like he's doing more of it than he is because without the help of the people surrounding, I think Logan Paul falls flat on his face. So you're saying like if Logan Paul were to go to a wrestling school 
and then have three matches on the independence, they wouldn't look that good? Not even close. <laughs> I think Logan Paul is an extremely gifted athlete. 100%. And his potential to become a phenomenal wrestler is 100% there. Mm -hmm. um, what he did, though, is indicative of that. Not to say that he has those skills now. He could obtain them through years of work. But um, hopefully, I don't know him well enough to know if he knows that he doesn't or if he believes his own hype. Mm. It'd be interesting. I don't know if anybody's ever had their first three WWE matches look as good as her, his first three WWE matches. Don't know if anyone's had their first WWE matches rehearsed as much as he's rehearsed his three matches either. Mm. Especially like working one-on-one -on -one with Shawn Michaels. Um, who in the business can say that they worked <laughs> for a month on one match with Shawn Michaels? So I agree and I disagree. Um, I actually kind of think he's got a point here that Logan Paul, who gets to train for a month or a couple months with Shawn Michaels every day on one match. So, of course, it's going to be a fucking fantastic match. Logan Paul received universal praise for the matches. I think only three matches he's had in WWE, but those three matches were amongst the best three matches of any celebrity, the best matches of any celebrity. That's inarguable. But amongst the best rookie matches, like rookie year, first time in a ring. Are you fucking kidding me? But... I hadn't thought about it in the way that, and that's why I was ready to be outraged. But Morrison, you know, has a point. I hadn't thought about it like that. Of course, when you're spending months training with the very best on one match, you're rehearsing things, you're walking through it. Now, of course, he's not rehearsing, taking fucking bumps through tables and shit, diving off the top rope through a table. You don't rehearse that kind of shit. But, um, Still, you know, you're working with the best for months on end. That's not an opportunity that other wrestlers get. They have to work their way up. They have to learn it on the fly with experience. They don't get that hand-picked elite-level legend status training. I mean, Shawn Michaels is the best wrestler that's ever lived in the in the history of human wrestling, right? He's, he's fucking, he's the king. He's the man. He's the GOAT if you will. So to have that one-on-one -on -one with him and Logan Paul, obviously Logan Paul, I mean, if he's any kind of athlete at all, if he has any kind of talent in him whatsoever, Shawn Michaels' guidance will lead him to amazing four-and-a-half, five-star matches. Absolutely. So he's right. I didn't think about it like that. I was ready to kind of pounce on him. Now, where I will push back is... Morrison had kind of said that he's didn't think that Logan had passion, that he didn't see the passion in Logan, that Logan only got his little knee injury and now he doesn't talk about wrestling anymore really or whatever. He doesn't feel that Logan has a passion for wrestling. I will push back against that because you don't do the shit that Logan Paul did if you don't have the passion for it, I'm sorry. You don't spend all that time training with legends to get your match perfected. If it's something that you're just, meh, I don't care. I'm just here for the paycheck. You know what I mean? He's not raw celebrity general manager of the week. He's fucking, he, he, there's pictures of him holding up one of those cardboard fucking homemade championship belts as a kid. 
He's a mark. He's a wrestling fan. He has a passion for it. He has the bug, just like all of us. He loves it. Even when he got in the ring, he's talked about this on his podcast that he once he did it, like now I, I want to be the best at it. I want to, like, I really want to do this. He's made no bones about that. And sure, look, he didn't sign a fucking full time deal. He's a f- celebrity. He's got other shit to do. He's got other business ventures. He is a celebrity part-timer. He's not a full-timer. So if you're going to say that that's no passion, then fine, I guess. But look, man, he wasn't there for the paycheck. He didn't need the paycheck. He showed up because he wanted to be a wrestler. He loves wrestling. He wanted to try it. Once he tried it, holy fuck, this is awesome. This is the greatest shit I've ever done. Uh, I want to now push myself as hard as I can to be the best at this. I had said it before, you know, when I played the clip of Logan saying this exact thing from his podcast, I said if Logan were to choose to work full time in the WWE, I really, truly believe that if he just made this his next full career and did this for fucking 10 years, he would be a Hall of Fame level talent. Absolutely. I know that might be a controversial thing to say. Whatever. Fucking at me, bro, in the comments. I don't care. If Logan Paul went as a full-time professional wrestler for 10 years, he would have a Hall of Fame run. Absolutely. I have no doubt in my mind about that. But to question this man's passion as a fucking celebrity, he does not need to sit out there and be training for months on end with Shawn Michaels, going to the PC all the time. He doesn't need to be throwing himself through tables off the top rope. He doesn't need to put himself in situations where he can get injured and get hurt. He doesn't need to work to that next level to have those kind of matches. It's not necessary. I think Morrison has a little bit of jealousy. He was very outspoken against, like, he's he's doing this fucking celebrity boxing shit now, apparently. And it's his goal to beat up YouTubers. He was ragging on Jake Paul as well. And look, that might be just his way of getting himself a, a payday, right? Because, you know, he was asked, why are you doing this? He's like, money. <laughs> so, uh you know, he might be just trying to stir up the YouTubers, too, to be the guy that fights YouTubers. You know what I mean? Uh, trying to create a gimmick for himself. He's working, brother. Uh, so that could be, too. But it seems like he's kind of got a hair up his ass in general about the Paul brothers and just doesn't like them. You know, because he was on the flip end. He was praising Bad Bunny. But look, he worked with Bad Bunny. You know, he was the one in the match with Bad Bunny. Bad Bunny only did one match. You didn't hear Morrison wasn't out there. Oh, I don't think Bad Bunny has the passion for it. Or fucking, oh, Bad Bunny had to rehearse his man. He didn't say any of that shit about him. So there's definitely a little bit of something there for him to be burying Logan Paul. It's not just true, honest feelings. Though he has a point, and I'll give him his point. I still think John Morrison's a douchebag. I don't, he screams douchebag to me. I just don't see why people like him. I don't think he stands out in the ring. He can do, oh, I can do flippy floppies. Anybody can do flippy floppies. It doesn't impress me, bro. It's not a, you know, it's fucking, he's athletic. Who cares? Every wrestler is athletic. It's not a thing that sets you apart. Does he have character, charisma, personality of any kind that makes you go, God, I just can't get enough of a, of a fucking John Morrison? No, no. 
Not at all. He's a fucking douchebag. Not only that, not only is he just boring and stale, but he's a douchebag. This entire interview was just pure douchebaggery. Our personalities clash so much. I mean, if you are a Giant fan and you thought he came across as a likable, nice guy, you probably think I'm a douchebag because our personalities clash. And his type doesn't go with my type. We don't like your type around these parts here. Uh, yeah, I just don't like him. He screams douchebag. If I had to, if I had to, if you ask me, name a wrestler that's a, that strikes you as a giant douchebag, John Morrison. Don't even got to think about it. He's fighting Harley Mortenstein, Harley from Epic Mealtime. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Epic Mealtime. It's like old school YouTube now, but it was one of the biggest shows on YouTube for a long time. And I uh, love me some Harley. Epic meal time. Love me some epic meal time. I hope Harley eats a lot of bacon. I hope Harley knocks Morrison the fuck out. This is a fight I'm going to want to see. I really hope Morrison doesn't win. I hope Harley knocks him the fuck out, stuffs some gay bacon in his mouth. That's the, um, they use it for their candy dishes on epic meal time. It's like, uh, because bacon's their gimmick. They put bacon in everything. But when they do a candy dish, they do gay bacon, which is like this rainbow colored fucking like fruit roll up type strip thing. They call it gay bacon. So knock his ass out, stuff some gay bacon in his mouth, put your foot on top of him. Harley Mortenstein. That's, that's what I'm hoping for anyway. But uh, yeah, don't like John Morrison. Fuck John Morrison. Come at me, bro, in the comments. And love to love to have a discussion about John Morrison. Um, but yeah, uh, it was uh, I, no. I won't even say it was a good interview because yeah, I just don't like Morrison. But I definitely it was newsworthy. Uh, he was taking some pretty pointed shots at the Paul brothers, so I thought it deserved some attention. And now that I have brought attention to it, I'm gonna move on with my life and on to the next. The Bella Twins were stirring up some drama this week as they were not biting their tongue when it came to the WWE and the WWE's use of female talent this week. Uh, they were on Tamron Hall. Remember Tamron Hall? I did a clip a couple of weeks ago of Mandy Rose on Tamron Hall. Maybe it was last week already. I don't fucking know. It doesn't matter. Apparently Tamron Hall's a big mark because she's got all these wrestling people on her fucking show all the time. Um, but yeah, the Bella Twins were on the show and they were talking about their frustrations with uh, the lack of representation of women on Raw 30. This whole thing came about where the Bella Twins were announced to be a part of Raw 30 and then all of a sudden they weren't announced to be a part of Raw 30. I don't know what happened there. I don't know if they pulled out. I don't know if it doesn't seem like it because they're pretty frustrated. It seems like maybe more like they were cut. Uh, maybe they just didn't have the time for him. I mean, they uh, same with the cage match on Raw, right? The women's cage match just got turned into an angle because they were apparently running short on time. What do you cut? You cut the women's match. That's what you cut. Bella Twins did not hold back. They first took to Instagram, and uh, <laughs> they were kind of they were a bit they were, they were a bit uh, rowdy, shall we say? Check out this clip, and then after that, we'll play the clip of them on Tamron Hall, kind of uh, elaborating on their thoughts about this whole Raw Thirty thing. 
How didn't they showcase anything from the women's evolution? But also the way we did our matches on Sasha there. Banks it and they're like, we can't. And the Bellas. There's a bunch of us. In Mercedes is too over. And we and can't say her name. There's a couple other girls and Rhea. There's a bunch of us they don't yeah. want to show. That's fine. That's fine. But beyond the event, as you always do, you rise to such great occasions. You have spoken out about the lack of representation of women yeah. at the event and other events. What made you want to, again, defy the odds and say, if we can do it, we want other women in the ring too? Yeah, well, I think for what anyone does, when you have love and passion for something yeah. and you put your heart and your soul in it, you want to be appreciated. And I think that's in any industry yeah. and for, us female wrestlers, it was Raw 30, the 30th anniversary. And throughout those 30 years, women have done a whole lot to make Raw what it is. Uh, yes. <laughs> so when you have a three hour show and it's male dominated and women aren't being honored pretty much at all, you just sit back and you're like, why aren't we being appreciated? Like, why aren't, why don't you even have a video package showcasing what all these incredible women have done? And even when I spoke yes, out, yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it just, I'm someone who they've always called no filter Nikki. Oh, yes. And I oh, know yes. sometimes my team is like back there like, oh my gosh, if we could just take her phone. But I just, you know, it made me upset for all the women because I know that feeling of walking out to the ring. And it happens to some of the men, but where you walk out and you put your body on the line, you give it your all just to entertain the fans and the TV viewers. And you just come back and you want to feel appreciated yeah. for that. Some of us have had career ending injuries yeah. and we shouldn't go away. And even if I feel that if a wrestler even leaves a company or they're no longer there, it doesn't mean that they shouldn't be remembered. 100%. So I just, I wished and I hoped, and maybe that will be more in the future and we still have a way <laughs> to go, but that women will finally be appreciated for what they do. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. Nikki's kind of an obnoxious chick, isn't she? Bree's a little bit more reserved. She's a little bit more uh, calculated. And Nikki said it. She said it on the Tamron Hall show. She said that people call her no filter Nikki. Uh, it's fun. It's fun to hear people, uh, you know, I, I'm always up for a little bit of drama. It makes my show more interesting, right? It gives me something to talk about at the very least. But she, they, neither one of them were really biting their tongue. They got a hair up their ass about uh, this whole WWE representation thing. And, uh, you know, this has been a subject that's been talked about for uh, quite a while, but this week especially, it's kind of been making the rounds. Uh, Jim Cornette actually talked about this as well as he was talking on the Jim Cornette experience with Brian Last about women in AEW and just women's in wrestling in general and the use of women and the whole blood thing and all of that. Check out this clip. What are they fucking doing over there? Well, you know my thought, and it's not just about the bloody women's match. I think women's wrestling, by and large, exists because people in the business may want to support it, and people have been led to believe this is the way it's supposed to be, but I don't think there's a public demand for it. And we've seen... You could talk to people in the arenas. You can look at the ratings. What match are people going to go to the bathroom during? What match are people going to get up and go to the kitchen during? What match are people going to turn off their TVs and not come back during? And there's a reason it's the same segment. 
women's wrestling. I'm not saying I have a problem with it in general. I have a problem with it being mixed in the middle of men's shows for no reason because no one's demanding it. The demand is the issue. The industry is forcing something on a fan base that isn't demanding it. There should be a well-run, well-booked, functional women's promotion for top-line women athletes. But it shouldn't just be, okay, it's the women's portion of the show right now. Imagine if it was anyone else. All right, let's turn over the show to the midgets right now. We're going to have the (laughs) weekly midget segment of the show. So just to address the blood part of it, and we'll get that out of the way, if a guy can bleed and you're okay with that, a woman can bleed, and you should be okay with that. We're not going to play, oh, you know, because you're either offended because she's a lily flower, soft little fucking peddly fucking thing, that dainty little girl. You don't want to see her get hurt or injured. Look, man, they're out there competing just like the men are. They should be able to bleed just like the men are. Or you're grossed out by it because you don't want to see women bleeding. Either way, those are stupid takes. Those are not reasons to not allow women to to bleed. Um, look, this is simulated combat. It's it's blood belongs in wrestling for a reason because you are simulating combat. And if you watched any bit of UFC at all, you will see that there's people get just absolutely busted open multiple times on the show. It's not they don't save color for the main event like a, like wrestling will do. You know, the fucking it is not uncommon to see three or two, three, four people get busted open. Sometimes just bleeding fucking buckets uh, spilling all over the fucking map. You know why? Because they're punching each other in the face and they're kicking each other in the face and they're kneeing each other in the face. And guess what? In wrestling, you simulate that. So. Uh, I have no problem, especially when you break out the toys and you do the hardcore and the barbed wire or whatever. Blood should be a part of that. Now, you, I mean, if you don't like to see women do that, I get it, but you're wrong. You don't like to because you, it's, there's something about women being dainty or pretty or beautiful or they should be just out there to be fucking eye candy for you. They're not, it's, you know, you're not interested in them performing you're not interested in them simulating combat you know at that point if you if you don't want to see a woman bleed in wrestling then you're not interested in seeing women wrestle the whole thing in blood in general i think it gets overused um but i think if it needs to be used or if a match calls for it it absolutely should and I don't see any reason that women should be banned from doing this while men can. It's either all can or none can. Um, but, you know, I'm also, I think blood should be used sparingly. Otherwise, it doesn't mean as much. When Moxley bleeds every single fucking match, man, it was, doesn't mean anything anymore. I'm not like, oh, God, Moxley's busted over. No, it's like, oh, it's Moxley. He just gets busted over. You become desensitized to it. So that's my little mini rant on the blood part. On the greater aspect of women in wrestling, this is this is touchy because there's a lot of things at play here. First of all is the argument of representation. This is what the Bella Twins are so bitchy about is there's a lot of people out there that are really passionate that everything needs to have representation from everybody, right? If you're going to do 
a Raw 30 episode and you're going to uh, pay tribute to the legends, you should have a women's package and show what all the women have done over the years and stuff. Eh, I don't know about all that. You shouldn't have... It's tough. I, I'm okay with women's wrestling because the best of the best women's wrestlers are just as good as the men. I'll watch Sasha Banks wrestle, wrestle Bailey. All day long before I'll watch, you know, fucking half the shit that's on Monday Night Raw right now. They're fantastic. Charlotte always delivers. She's another great performer in the ring. Um, you know, a Britt Baker match is always fun to watch. Thunder Rosa always had bangers. So, I mean, there are women at a very elite level that are doing this. And I think they deserve as much of a spotlight as anybody else. The problem is, is that there's two problems. Uh, one is that a lot of the other women's wrestlers suck. They're horrible. They're trash. They're going through the motions. I always make fun of this, but they're, they're choreographing. They're going through a fucking dance routine. They're not fighting. They're not scrapping. They're not rough out there, you know? Uh, wrestling should look a little dirty. It shouldn't look like you're going through a fucking ballet act and then you do this move and then you do this move and then you do a PA and a pillowette or whatever the fuck they do. You know what I mean? You fucking triple axle, double fucking whammy splits. You don't, you don't need to do that shit. It's a fight. Go up there and punch a bitch in the face. Stomp her. You know what I mean? Get a little fucking bloody lip going. You know, Britt Baker goes out there. She bleeds every other match hard way. Her nose, her big ass nose always gets in the way and gets busted open. Poor girl. Um, I think women deserve a spot, but a lot of women suck. And what that does is that tends to draw away fans. That forces fans to go, you know what? This is a good time to get up and go to the bathroom or change the channel and see what else is on TV. And look, look at the numbers, dude. Women's wrestling always, almost always, I should say, drives away viewership. That's where the viewership drops off is a women's match, especially when it's not a main event elite woman. You know what I mean? If it's Charlotte Flair versus Becky Lynch or something, people might sit and watch that. But people aren't going to sit and watch your fucking Lacey Evans versus fucking uh, Carmella. Nobody cares. Nobody gives a fuck. You know what I mean? So... How do you fix that? Do you take women off of TV altogether? No. I think they need more training. They need more training, and they need better storylines. There needs to be a reason for guys, because uh, wrestling is primarily a male fan base. There has to be a reason other than the sex and the eye candy and stuff, which is also cringe. I was just watching Royal Rumble uh, 2000 maybe last night. Jerry the King Lawler had all the divas come out and fucking do their little bikini contest and the crowd votes or whatever. And Mae Young came out. (laughs) I I was cringing. I couldn't believe they did that shit. And look, I'm a hard guy to offend. I wasn't offended. Like, you know, you're not going to phase me. But certainly, like, when you look back at that and watch that, it's pretty fucking cringe in today with today's eyeballs. You know what I mean? Um, so we've come a long way. But it, it's really a hard thing because women's wrestling does drive away viewership. 
but I think it deserves a place on the roster. And I think, uh, you know, the best of the best are just as good as the men. So it's a tough one. I, I, I don't have an exact answer. I would just invest a lot more effort into training the women and, and kind of knock the powder puff dance routine shit out of their. And I feel like that's getting learned at the bottom level in NXT because you watch those NXT women's matches. They're just going through the dance routines, you know, and I think whoever's training these fucking models that they bring in that have no indie experience at all. Um, they're being taught how to do moves and how to do a match, but they're not actually doing moves and doing a match. You got to go out there and fight somebody. You know what I mean? And that's the difference. Wrestling is scripted. Sure. I get that. But it's not a dance routine either. It should you should look like you're trying to win a fight, not like you're trying to set up your next fucking flippity do. It's just and that's the same criticism that like the young bucks get. So it's not completely unique to the women either. You know, a lot of people don't like that spot fest shit. And because it's 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 a dance routine. It's ballet. It's trapeze. It's not a fight. So I think that's the issue there. Not so much that just women in general don't belong. Um, but they, they need a lot of work. They need the work. I don't think, look, if they're driving away viewership and shit, I don't think you just give them a spot because we got to represent everybody. You know what I mean? That's, that's, uh, it's just not the best way. You don't want to, well, we have to have our obligatory women's wrestling segment. I think we need women's wrestling, but I don't think. You just put trash on TV because it you just just to have it on TV for representation. So put more effort into your women, train them up better, give them more experience, and figure out ways to keep interest, better storylines perhaps. If they're not fun to watch, maybe there's a reason, maybe there's something else you can tie into it. I don't know. I don't know. It's not an easy fix, something they're going to have to keep working on. And, uh, you know, I get where the Bella Twins are coming from with their outrage over, you know, lack of representation on, on Raw 30 or whatever. But I don't know. I, I don't get into the, oh, let's have a segment on, oh, the women of Raw over the last 30 years. Show a little video package as Nikki was like, why? You know, they showed the package at the beginning of the show of the over the last 30 years. And there was absolutely women involved in that opening package. So I don't know that they need their own little special fucking everything all the time, but they need to be there. And so I don't entirely dis or I don't entirely agree with the Cornette's opposite take on this uh, about, you know, women's wrestling or Brian last, you know, how it should maybe be on its own show or something. And just got to get this shit off of, you know, they're very for being ultra liberals. They're sure uh, pretty pretty prejudiced against having women, you know. You know they still very much seem like women should be in the kitchen doing dishes instead of wrestling the fucking wrestling matches. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's a it's a it's a touchy one without any good answer. I guess the only way, like I said, invest more into their storylines and more into their in ring progression. And I think at that point, you know, if a res women's wrestler is good, guys are going to want to watch it. You know what I mean? You don't ever hear a guy going, oh, Jamie Hayter match. Man, I don't want to see that. Because Jamie Hayter goes out there and punches bitches in the face hard. 
She slams the fuck out of him. Jamie Hayter's a, a, a tough bitch. And you, it comes through on TV. You know, Sasha Banks, she's a scrapper. She'll go out there and she'll have a fucking scrap with you. Charlotte, Becky, all of these women are elite level wrestlers. And uh, you just got to bring everybody else up, give them a good storyline, and I think the fans will follow. I don't think they inherently hate women, but that's just my thoughts, and I've rambled on enough about this. So I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next. But please, if you have a hot take on it, let me know in the comments below. Composite Effects LLC, better known as CFX. They are well-known mask makers in the costume industry. And uh, apparently they are suing AEW and Luchasaurus over use of the Luchasaurus dinosaur mask that he's been wearing for way too goddamn long on TV. Apparently this is a modified version of a CFX mask that was uh, like a viper or something that they had already designed and then they added horns to it and stuff for Luchasaurus. They were commissioned to do the mask for him, so they're aware that he's out here wearing this mask in wrestling, and they were fine with it. He was allowed to wear the mask as as a wrestler, but what he wasn't allowed to do was merchandise the mask. And uh, despite that being clearly the arrangement that was made, they have gone on to merchandise the mask by having Luchasaurus toys, action figures, T-shirts, etc the video game probably has luchasaurus in his mask and uh cfx was like nope not gonna happen uh, apparently tony khan AEW had made an attempt to license it for merchandise and such but uh, a deal was not able to be made and they just kept doing it anyway um it was also said uh this uh, this came from wrestlenomics by the way they're the ones who had broke this news and uh, apparently they said that there was even talks at some point of just replacing the mask with something else. But the decision was made that it was too iconic. Luchasaurus, a wrestling icon, if you will. The mask was too iconic to change. So we're just going to move forward with it. Uh, this was a really bonehead move by Tony Khan, to be 100% honest with you. I don't know what he was thinking. You don't just push forward using uh, somebody else's copyrighted material. Look, they own the mask, and they said outright, you can have it, you can wear it in, in your matches, you can wear it on TV. You can't merchandise it. Tony Khan even offered to you know, do the licensing or split revenues or whatever for that, but they that's, that's not what they wanted. So CFX is suing, and uh, they're probably going to win. Maybe they'll settle. I'm sure they'll reach a settlement, actually. I don't think it'll actually go to court. Um, but they're looking for the damages. They want to recoup damages from uh, lost revenue from the toys, the T-shirts. The video game's not out yet, but I guarantee if that mask is on that video game, CFX is going to want a little chunk of that, too. <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, damages and lawyer fees. So uh, it'll probably get settled, I'm sure. I don't know if we're going to continue to see this mask much longer on TV, though. And good riddance, in my opinion. Look, uh, I pitched a long time ago. I don't know if I did it on this show or where the fuck I was talking about it. But back when Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy were still a team in, in Jungle Boy... Or, you know, Jungle Boy was starting to break out with some singles matches, and Lucha was kind of getting old. You know what I mean? It was kind of like, okay, I'm kind of over this dinosaur fucking 
freak here. You know what I mean? Dino douche, as Jim Cornette would say. I don't mind Luchasaurus. I just think, you know, the a, you're a dinosaur. That's your character. Ah, yeah. It ran its course. So by the time he was ready to turn heel, it was I had pitched the idea before he even turned heel. He needs to turn on Jungle Boy. He needs to destroy Jungle Boy, murder Jungle Boy, beat him down within an inch of his life, bloody him up, just fucking leave him for dead, essentially. Like the most brutal beatdown you can put together. And then what I would have done is I would have had the camera angle of him pulling off the mask and dropping it down on the mat next to Jungle Boy. So then you get the camera pan and it'll show... Jungle Boy laid out, bloody, lifeless on the mat with the luchador mask, the dinosaur mask laying down next to him and then pans up to show the real man behind the mask of Luchasaurus. And then he would have done his heel turn exactly as he has done with Christian. Everything else could have stayed the same. Give him his start as a heel, a monster heel, but do it without the mask because people will take him more seriously as a real human being. Then an evil, now I'm an evil dinosaur. Fuck off with all that. You know what I mean? It, it loses a, a lot of credibility when you do that. It's 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 a credibility killer for Luchasaurus. He's not that great of a worker. I've never been impressed with his work in the ring. I think he has not gotten much better since he started. I don't know that he's, you know, he's not really going to ever move up to that next level. So maybe it's... For the best, but I would have thought he had a better chance without the mask and they should have lost it back then. And maybe they would have never got sued or if they did get sued, you know, it wouldn't have been going on for a whole nother year, you know, a whole nother year of fees that you're going to have to pay back in a lawsuit and all that thing. Just move on from it, move on from it or uh, license a new mask that's different. You know, when he turned heel, he got the black mask or the dark green mask or whatever. Uh, you know, have a new design. You know, like Bray Wyatt got a Tom Savini fucking mask. Tom Savini was the master. You know, he did all the fucking, you know, if you saw great 80s practical special effects in a horror movie, they came from Tom Savini. He was the best. You know, if it didn't look like shit, if it looked fucking wow, holy crap, look at that. I mean, he'll blow up heads, severed heads, all that shit. He's the man. And, uh, you know, go get a mask from them officially. Pay for it outright. CFX would probably gladly do that. The problem is they were using a mask that was already fucking created. They just put horns on it. This is a cut that doesn't change it. This isn't fair use here. It's not, uh, you know, it's not transformative. Um, They're using a CFX mask that's copyrighted, that they own, and they knew it, and they went ahead and did it anyway. So it's a bonehead move. Never should have did it. They're going to end up paying a good chunk of money, but it'll probably get settled out of court. I would expect to see Luchasaurus either get a new mask or lose the mask unless they're able to work out a deal financially in the settlement that allows him to continue to wear it. But I love my storyline better. He should have dropped the mask at fucking Jungle Boy's feet after he laid him out and turned on him and walked away and, and never looked back and was never a fucking dinosaur again. But hey. Who the fuck am I, right? Just some schlub sitting in my fucking basement yelling at a microphone. Say it all the time. You know, I'm not Booker of the Year, two years running, so what the fuck do I know? Um, but that's what I would have did. 
But what are your thoughts? Let me know. Do you like Luchasaurus? Do you like his mask? Do you think it's worth taking the bump, the lawsuit, the the paying uh, the, a settlement to use this mask? Or should he have gotten rid of it a long time ago or never fucking had it to begin with? If you care at all, let me... If, that's so rude. John, Luchasaurus, I, I mean, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but come on. Uh, leave your thoughts in the comments below, and I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next. That's it, y'all. That's all I got for you this week. It was a hell of a week. A shorter show than last time. Uh, last week was a very long show, and I knew it would be. Um, but I wanted to put a lot into that Jay Briscoe segment and have all those clips. If you haven't seen it, uh, I compiled as many clips as I could that came out prior to that weekend because, of course, people are still talking about it, commenting on it. You know, there's I added as much as I could, uh, compiled all the tweets that I could find and a lot of the clips from the podcast talking about Jay. So go back and check that out if you like. That's the Remembering Jay Briscoe clip here on the YouTube channel or in last week's podcast if you're an audio listener. But, man, another newsworthy week this week. Big-time interviews. It was great. This is this is the kind of stuff I live for, man. This is why I'm here to bring it to you guys. Bray Wyatt, Sami Zayn, fucking L.A. Knight. Everybody's out there talking, doing interviews. I love it. Great shit. Great shit. Great content uh, to present to you. Ric Flair making peace. It was a good week. It was a good week of podcasting. I'm glad you were here with me. Again, I want to thank you, as I did at the beginning of the show. I'm just a guy, you know, so I'm super humbled that anybody cares what I have to say and listens to me. I'm grateful for you all, and I'm continuing my journey. We're going to reach that 1,000 subscribers this year. We're going to get monetized this year, and we're inevitably going to get demonetized this year because I swear too much. Uh, before I let you go, if I could bug you to please like, follow, and subscribe if you're on TikTok, Facebook, or Twitter. I'm on all three of those, at Seth Grimes Media on all three. Easy to find. That's where I'll push post shorts or just random nonsense, random thoughts. Uh, I was complaining about the WWE Raw ring announcer this week on Facebook. She sucks. She's horrible. It was when she was announcing Hulk Hogan. I was like, this is... Easily the worst announcer I've ever heard in my entire life. I don't know where where anybody listens to her and goes, yes, this is what we need on our TV. Horrible. That's <laughs> just a little mini rant. The kind of thing you would see uh, if you were to follow me there. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe on YouTube. That's my main goal. That's where I'm looking to grow. That's where I need your support the most on youtube just go ahead and hit that subscribe button that's it that's all i ask it's not a lot it's not a lot to ask of you throw a comment down below that helps a like all that shit helps but i'm looking for those subs to get myself monetized so please if you like what you hear throw me a bone it helps me out more than i could ever express to you so with all that said i'll go ahead and leave you here uh no other plugs check out everything down in the description below Peace, love, and pizza. I am your boy, Seth Grimes, and this has been the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. Hey, you know, um, 
early listeners of the show would know I, I put over Bang a lot in the early days. I was always drinking a Bang with my show. These goddamn Zoas have taken over, though. And it's not just because it's the Rocks gimmick, you know. Uh, maybe that helps subconsciously a little bit. But these are good drinks. These are good, solid, wholesome, happy energy drinks. They're delicious. They taste good. So um, if you haven't tried a Zoa and you're an energy drink person, check out the fucking Zoas, bro. I'm telling you. They're fucking 